Welcome, everybody, to uh, episode 32 of the Coffee Code Cast, a weekly live tech podcast from Seattle's Pioneer Square District. I'm Kyle Johnson. And I'm Mike Sheehan. Today on the cast, uh, we're going to do a redux on the large versus small teams debate that we did back in episode 27, I believe. We're going to cover Alexa-enabled AirPod competitor that might be uh, coming out here soon, along with some other tech news, hopefully non-Tesla related, Kyle, I hope. No Tesla news today. I hope. Maybe. I didn't see it, unless you have a hidden script somewhere. I mean, we could talk about the wreck that my wife almost had, but... We should talk about that. Oh. That'd be a little bit. We'll cover that. We're also going to cover the negative side effects of Lime Bike jousting. <laughs> oh, boy. And also joining us today on the cast is Mike Davis. We go by Mike, Michael, or Mikey. Mike's fine. Mike's fine. Yeah. Mike Davis recently joined the team from our Sacramento office. Uh, welcome to the cast, Mike. Thanks so much. Really glad to be here. Tell us, uh, tell us what you're doing up here in Seattle, man. Uh, just coming up, meeting the team, trying to make a little, put my little foot in the ground and uh, hit the ball running and uh, doing what I can. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, we're happy to have you here and happy to have you as a guest on the show. We were just kind of, we had a little. Uh, Team building, I would you'd say this week, uh, Monday through Wednesday, we had our some guys up here from the Denver office, guys up here from the Sacramento office, and uh, I think we were out playing at the old garage, a little bowling and pool, and we were talking, and we said, you know what, man, uh, this would be a good time to get a guest on the show, and so here we are. Maybe a little alcohol. We we bribed him with some alcohol, or maybe he had alcohol in him to get him on the show. I'm Could have been sure. a little bit of both. A little bit of both. A little uh-huh. bit of both. <laughs> Based on how that cider's going down, I'd say that's probably the case. If you need to step out and get a refill, by all means, just, uh, you know. Yeah, I'll let you know. Here's the good news <laughs> is we had this problem a couple of weeks ago where we ran out of beer. Yes. And there was nobody to go get it unless one of us is going to ramble on for a few minutes. So now us two can ramble on and you can go get a beer. No problem. So. I think it's a good reason to start having the guests on the show regularly <laughs> so that one of us can leave and... Beer runner? Beer runner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, if you need anything, I'll get you something. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. That's, you know, that's kind of the spirit. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, relatively new hires here within the last four weeks, three weeks. And uh, we were talking about it on the way over here, but I like that's kind of the spirit that, that everybody's had on uh, the energy has been pretty high and, and all the new guys have been uh, very eager and willing and able and it's, but it's been a fun energy around the office. That's for sure. Especially with all the, yeah, even with the new guys and the people from out of town. Yeah. Uh, young and old, I guess you might say. Young and old. Seasoned and not. Yeah. Well, it's just cool to see the, uh, how the team's really grown over the last several years, too, because, you know, we have uh, the old stand up used to be about eight or nine people, and there was, that was everybody from, you know, the ops guy, the systems guy, the, and the developers and the, pro, the product, you know, manager. And, and now we, I think on our last Tuesday call, had somewhere near 40, 45 to 50 people on that uh, team stand up. Yeah, it's just a small little group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> how was it? How were things this week for you, man? Did you have a good trip up here? You're going back tomorrow, I think. Yeah, I leave tomorrow afternoon. It's been great. I mean, everyone here is fantastic. The team's amazing. All the people here are great, fun to work with, and you know, I couldn't be happier to be here. Awesome. Where did you come from prior to here? I don't. I don't think I've talked to you too much before about any of this, or or I'm not working on the same team as you. So where where did you come from? Sure, I'm originally from maryland actually i uh, moved out to california about three years ago and now i'm living up in uh, vallejo just a little town north of san fran and in terms of work what, what were you doing prior to coming here uh before i was doing some dev up in maryland and then before that i was uh in a touring band doing the music gig so he's comfortable on the mic i would say so i was a drummer i didn't have a <laughs> mic <laughs> Fair enough. But well, it's nice to have one, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, we're uh, no, we're really glad that that the whole group could come up, and uh, we've had a really good time. So good, in fact, that we had to cancel happy hour last night. We were all just a little too bushed, I man. We couldn't handle it. We can believe that. I didn't know about a happy hour. Well, it was just going to be for the touch point team. Oh, that was after the after the lunch that I didn't get to go to either. <laughs> hey, I didn't send that invite out. I know he was a little Somehow salty you were about invited that. about. I don't know how that worked. <laughs> I got that text from you, and you're like, well, how the hell did you? I told Brad, I said, Kyle uh, was wondering why he didn't get on the invite list for that, yeah. that lunch. He didn't have anything good to say. <laughs> All right, oh, well, let's boy. move on, shall we? Uh, a little follow-up. I uh, got, some, got some of the feed issues finally resolved. We had a ton of podcast feed 
problems where various apps weren't updating, primarily uh, Pocket Cast, which is the one I use. Uh, TuneIn wasn't updating. Stitcher wasn't updating. A bunch of them. So worked this week a bunch with all of those different providers, and I think we've got them all finally squared away. So if you weren't getting any episodes, which you wouldn't know because you weren't getting them, uh, they should show up now. <laughs> well, I guess that's how you know is that for con- pretty consistently now, this is the ninth or tenth uh, installment of our weekly live cast. Yeah. So you should see something every week. If you're not getting something once a week, something could be brought, broken. Probably on Thursday or Friday. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Do it live Wednesday, post it the next day or so. Yeah. So the problem was we changed providers. And so I had to change the RSS feed links. And that should be respected across all different applications. But the problem is a lot of people hold on to the link and you can't change it. So in the case of Pocket Cast, they had our old link, our old RSS feed set up and I had to force them to change it. So okay, just a pain in the ass to go through all of them one by one. But I think we're there uh, and everything's updating finally. And it has the updated art, which is another thing. Like TuneIn didn't have the updated art. Neither oh. did, uh, neither did uh, iTunes for that matter. Okay. Yeah. Now we have the updated art on everything. Yeah. Thanks to our buddy Yurne. Gentle I giant. was just going to give him a shout out. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And we got some stickers here. Yeah. I need to give those out. I should have brought some to the offsite and plastered them all over the, the bar that we were at. Yeah. And I just see that uh, Mr. Pyle needs a sticker for his kegerator. Um, we will absolutely do that for you, sir. That'll be on the way. If you give me some more, I can plaster them all over Sacramento and San Fran. Yes. We've got a whole uh, stack. We'll give you a fat stack to bring back. Sweet. No problem. Oh, that's sweet, man. That'd be awesome. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. Um. Yeah, that'd be good. It'd be good to get some more regulars outside of the... We've got a good uh, group in the Midwest, where respectively we're from, Iowa, Nebraska and Iowa, and uh, a good crew here in Seattle, and a few people sprinkled other places too, but it'd be nice to, to get some more over there. I know Lyman was listening in Denver yep. a little bit. so. Yep. And we can bring you on if you want to come back on later. We have uh, a lot of different ways we can bring people on through this board. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no way. Your Lexanne said she saw a sticker in Iowa on Saturday. Well, there you go. That's my sister. She's listening. Listening live. Listening live. It's 8 o'clock, too, over in the Central District. Central Time Zone. Central District. That's where you live, Central <laughs> yeah. District. It gets changes over there a couple of yeah. blocks out. Oh, funny. Well, yeah, so what do we got here? Dealing with injury. Yeah, you want we can jump into that really quick if you want. Just, yeah, I've seen you walking around the office a little bit gingerly this uh, last couple of days. Yeah, well, that was what I was talking about earlier when I was mentioned the negative side effects of line bike jousting. So I don't know if everybody knows what line bike is. Most people out here here do, but but we have these battery-powered bicycles that are just littered across the s- sidewalks and streets, and you can scan a barcode and unlock the thing for a dollar and a few cents a minute. And so, yeah, during some shenanigans on Saturday, I, I took one with a buddy of mine, and we were cruising down. In my defense, like Occidental is a really shitty street. Like, do you ever go? You're walking to the baseball stadium, and there's potholes and there's brick. It's just a very mixed. It's not a great street. I rode down it today. Uh, yeah, it's a little bumpy, right? And it kind of weaves a little bit. It's yeah. not. It's not a smooth trail or anything by any means. Anyway, we were doing that on Saturday and trying to get around some people and. I wasn't quite paying attention. I was messing around with my buddy and hit a pothole and lost control of the bike and, and at decent speed just like went right into the curb and my ribs took the impact. It's interesting that you say that's on Occidental because I ride my bike in pretty regularly. And there was one morning where I was coming in and, and Occidental has some parts of, of it where it's not a road. It's just a big walkway, a pedestrian walkway. Uh, but there's a couple gutters that they've kind of built into the brick. Yeah. And... There was somebody in my way as I was coming on, and so I had kind of tried to go across the, the gutter, and it was slick that day, wet. So the brick and being wet, like my, the bike just went like straight out from under me, and I crashed into the, into the, the gutter, and that, that hurt pretty bad and was embarrassing because it was right in front of the person that I was trying to avoid. There's tons of people there. <laughs> yeah, it, that, that's problematic too because, yeah, the way they slope that, and if there is water in there, it's terrible because you're not, unless you're going perpendicular to it, you're kind of taking it at an angle yep. and then it's just like that momentum getting up there will just kick out. Yep. And especially on a bike like mine, that's a road bike the, the tires are super skinny. So there's like no grip there whatsoever versus yeah. like a line bike. I think the tires are much thicker. Yeah. It's more of a, yeah. It's the handlebars that are awkward for me. On the line bike? Yeah. They're so close together. Oh, used to, you know, I oh, having a little out. more. Yeah. 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 Interesting. 
Um, yeah, it was, it wasn't, um, pleasant and I didn't like the first day it was okay. Um, but then like Sunday night, Monday night, like the last three nights, I haven't gotten any sleep. I've been up every few hours and it's just really hard to like, I'm a side sleeper. And so it's hard to sleep side, like on your side with a rib injury of any sort. But no bruising. You're not seeing any bruising. No, it's got to be all internal or deep. I don't know. It's just, yeah, there's no, nothing yet on the surface. Is it it's interesting. Cause better at least not yet. Uh, uh-uh. that's a sign. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's better during the day. And then at night right. it's really, it's like the, a cold or anything else. Like at two in the morning, it'll just feel like I just did it again. Mm. I had a similar experience and I think I talked to you about this already, but I, um, I was learning to snowboard and I was pretty bad at it. I'm still not great at it, but I was pretty bad at it and did a thing where I caught the front edge and it slammed me down on my face and I didn't even have enough time to get like my hands away from to put them out or anything like that. And so I ended up landing like on my fist, kind of same scenario. So right into the side of the ribs and yeah, they ached for like probably a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Never went to the ER or anything because I think I came across the same type of articles that you'd had mentioned where basically they said if you broke a rib, like tough it out because there's nothing they can do about it. That's right. Everybody I've talked to and all the re- like I've been researching it the last couple of days, should I go into an urgent care or go get an x-ray done? And they say, well, you could, but it's not going to matter. It's just gonna, you have to deal yeah. with it. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll wrap it or something, but yeah. it's not going to do anything. Yeah. And there's even been some, there's something, some things out there saying you shouldn't do that either. Like that is not always a good uh, recommendation. Of course, you'll find contradictory info on the internet about everything, but... I'm just dealing with it, and I don't have any fancy drugs either. Maybe a couple Advil if it gets really bad. Self-diagnosis is the best way. At least that's what I found. No, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there's no better cure. There you yeah. go. <laughs> We're dealing with it, dealing with injury. But you know what? That's not stopping us from putting out episode number thirty-two today. That's for damn sure. That's right. I didn't think you were going to be here. Yeah. Well, I was. I slept in this morning, so I took the morning off, and then did a little bit of work this afternoon, and. Got my ass over here for the for the podcast. Right on. Boom. Well, uh, yeah, transitioning into that, like I said in the intro, our topic is about uh, kind of going back to the discussion we had on team structure and how you organize your teams a while ago. And I thought this was a good topic, Kyle. Thanks for bringing it up again because we've kind of done some stuff at the office since then to <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't get that. Never mind. Um, <laughs> we've done a few things with the teams here, and we have a little experience now with with different team structure, and I think it would be fun to talk about that a bit. And, uh, yeah, why don't you take it off to, from there? Well, so if you didn't uh, partake in episode, what was that I say, 27? Yeah, 27. The Don't Rip My Nuts Off episode? I know. It had nothing to do with teams. It's from the title. <laughs> that was a little tale from back in the day, a little yeah. college story. Right. So I shared a little bit about uh, an idea I had and was sharing around the office of splitting up the teams into kind of two larger, larger teams instead of currently in the Seattle office, at least we have a whole bunch of onesie, twosie teams, probably five of them, maybe. Um, Which now, to be fair, like they're probably more three to four now, right? But, but yes, like still, they've been, we've had very siloed. Yeah, traditionally, we've had only a couple people, maybe even one in in a lot of cases, working on a project and a lot of projects going at the same time. So what I was trying to advocate for was basically to divide the the teams up into just two, maybe, maybe three, uh, with much larger groups working on a given project. Um, So today I brought that up in our tech management meeting uh, and, and got a question. It was not a major, it wasn't a big deal. Like it was just, I got questioned on it and didn't really have a clear response. It kind of caught me off guard. So I basically like wrote out a more clear and concise reason as to what it exactly it is I'm trying to accomplish and why I'm proposing this. Yeah. Uh, and so that was basically why I thought maybe it'd be interesting to revisit this because I have better thought it through, I guess. Yeah, that sounds great. So the first, the first one is to kind of make more clear the capacity that we have available at Quote Wizard in terms of a tech team. So today, if you look down on the tech team from the executive level, you would see five teams, right? Or however many teams with one or two people on a team. And you'd be like, holy, uh, who's available? I have no idea. What are they working on? Right? You have only, you have just kind of a weird dynamic with how many different teams there are and how few people are on the What are the teams? Where's the project at? Right. How far along is it? What's left to do? Yeah. 
Whereas if I think if you have two, it's much more clear. I have these two teams. They can handle one or two projects each. Those are in flight. That's what we have capacity for, right? So I feel like it just makes much more, much more clear the ability to push projects into the funnel. It also makes it come to a much more fine point, right? You can't have seven projects running at one time. You can have two to four. Right. Right. I'm curious to know your experience, Mike, when you were working at your previous places out east, big teams, small teams? Uh, I would say teams of five to eight. So a little bit like mid-size, mid or, mid or larger team size. Yeah, it's interesting his comments because um, in my last job, well, two jobs ago, I should say, we had three teams and it wasn't project oriented, actually. It was uh, one team would work on bugs for a quarter, one team would work on features, and ah. one team would work on performance enhancements. And interesting. Random other things. Um, and then we would rotate every quarter. Um, and I think we had probably you know, seven to ten projects, but it would get funneled down to two to four we'd work on x number of features and those two and then kind of push forward that way and what was the team what was the team makeup like what was it was it all all developers was there an architect was there a manager like how did the team get made up uh so we had a central dba who kind of handled all the projects at once (laughs) which you know they were a separate um i guess group at the company and then each team was like a team lead and then a various number from senior to junior. You know, we wanted the juniors to get experience so that they could move on to other projects and enhance their careers and get more experience across the board. You know, everyone everyone there was full stack. It wasn't just like we had front ends and back ends. It was all across the board. So it really um, lended to that and gave us a lot of experience. And I think that's kind of the approach that we're looking to do. I was also kind of advocating that, you know, you'd have a PM potentially on each team, architect on each team. Maybe that's also the lead. I don't know. Um, up for debate a little bit. But yeah, it sounds like a very similar structure, a similar number of people, kind of what we were talking about or what I was proposing. Yeah, we had we usually had, uh, aside from the devs, we would have two QA on each team and then a PM for each team too. Okay. We don't have any QA here. We did. <laughs> now the, dev, the devs are QA now. That's right. Or those, or those unit tests that we're writing, right? Yeah, end-to-end tests that don't exist. <laughs> well that's interesting okay so i think that well my experience before had been really small teams i mean i've been at places where i was like a team of one or mm-hmm. just a, a couple people working on stuff so uh it's nice to hear other experiences there and, and i think lends some credibility to what you're trying to say here like why it makes more sense to have larger more focused teams Mm -hmm. and it's funny to hear you say we say that we refer to like five to eight as being a large team like i think anywhere else in the universe that would be a pretty small team Um, probably yeah so i think we're we're talking a little different than what most people would experience yeah that's fair if you have more developers than that you know the communication and just giving them the certain things to work on spread yourself really thin in terms of there's only so much that so many developers can work on at a time without being blocked by someone else, you know? Right. And that's a interesting point too, because with Everest project, there was a point where even they were thinking about throwing you on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there, be, there comes a point here somewhere where like more bodies doesn't help. Right. <laughs> it gives you another set of problems. Now you've got people working and doing the work, but now it's about finding the work or I don't know if that's even fair to say finding it, but like just making sure there's enough shovel-ready work to keep everybody going. Or you end up taking a drain on the people that are experienced on the project, right? Because now those kind of senior people have to be like spread super thin with all the new people trying to get the knowledge out to them and, mm-hmm. and have help them to understand the project and so on and so forth. So it, yeah. it, right. eventually you get diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah for Adding sure. someone new to the project, you basically lose one other person <laughs> on top of it because they have to give the other person, the new guy, the the experience so that they can actually do something although to be fair and and to your credit i've heard good things about you like everybody that joined the team like they were were super eager to go and and were self-starters and just jumped in and and didn't really require a ton of guidance it was it was pretty nice and and surprising from my perspective yeah i think that's it's been the smoothest hiring cycle that we've had here before um probably the the most talented group that we've hired on in one round uh, before so i think that helps for sure um but yeah i think that we've 
you know, it's taken some uh, overhead to get everybody going, but it hasn't been as as problematic as other times in the past where I feel like, you know, maybe I'm spending half of my day or something like that working with the guys to get into the system or, you know, all kinds of stuff. It used to be the case too. It would take a couple of days to get the machine up and running. And it seems like now that we've been able to get around that and it's pretty quick. Right. All right. So let's move to the next one. So the next one is kind of to create focus, which I think we've touched on off and on a little bit here, but, um, it's mainly like the idea that we used to shuffle projects quite a lot. You would go from one to the other to the other and back. Um, and now we have, or in this scenario, the work would hopefully be queued up way ahead of time. So you'd be working on a, a concrete number of tickets. There'd be no, no uh, change to that, to that sprint, ideally. Um, and, and there'd be focus on just that particular project or that sprint that you're working on and getting that work out versus the randomization, as we like to say here a lot. Um, so gives developer focus, gives them, uh, more time to create more time to be kind of in the zone, so to speak. Um, so yeah, uh, to your point too, like I did outline here as well that, that you may have, um, let's say if, let's say if you go with a two team approach, you have one, you have team a working on, on a full project, maybe team B is working on a small project that doesn't require a full team plus maybe bug fixes or something like that. So you can divide it up. Uh, what makes logical sense, but that would be up to kind of PM and, and the business to figure out what needs priority, right? Yep. Anything else? No. Why don't no? you crack a beer for me there, please? You got it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm feeling better. boy. <laughs> now that rib pain is going away. That's excellent. All right. So the third one is to remove silos. So this is a big problem that we suffer from here. And I think a lot of people can, uh, what's, Wow. Uh, a lot of people can identify with this, I think, because um, basically we have a lot of knowledge holders that have been here for a very long time. Uh, they've been on the same exact product for a very long time. And, yeah. and the knowledge has not spread. I mean, it has some, but it hasn't spread effectively to other members of the team. Um, so we need to get kind of cross pollination, as we like to say, uh, to other developers so that they can learn the products more quickly. And if we lose one of these knowledge holders that we don't lose, you know, 10 years worth of information. Well, that's part of the problem. If you're always on the same project for 15 years or 10 years or five years anymore, then and you're going to burn out. You know, like for some of these guys, I know that, you know, are stuck on some corner of the legacy application because they're the only ones that understand it and only ones comfortable enough to deploy it. Um, that's, that's great. But then, you know, those guys are pretty tired of dealing with it, want to do some fun stuff, want to advance their careers. And so, yeah, like you're, they're going to, you're going to lose them to burnout or, or, uh, uh, and in order to prevent that, you got to get them, keep, keep them fresh, keep them on new, new teams, move them around. That even circles right back to, you know, our last topic, you know, all the more reason to make bigger teams, you know, maybe even just have a team where it's just nothing but knowledge transfer from, you know, executive people to the new guys. And then now your, your executive people can go work on other projects and the new guys can maybe take over the old ones, you know? Yep, absolutely. I mean, we've done a little bit of that where we've brought in, um, some of the newer guys to work alongside some of them, those guys, uh, on, on rewriting our legacy applications. And that's been pretty good, but then we still need to keep that process going. Like now I think we had, you know, the I'm thinking of our, our distribution project. And so we've, we've got a very senior guy that's been around forever that knows how it works. A couple guys actually. And, and then, um, one of the newer guys stepped up to take that on and has done really well, but it's been a lot for him. And I know that he has aspirations to do other things besides just backend coding. And so it's like, what do you do there? Like he's got the knowledge now, but you also want to even make it more broad than just one person, one or two people. Right. And I think we've done this pretty well with all the new guys that have come on. Like they're all learning from some of the people that have been here for, for a good amount of time. So we are getting some knowledge transfer there. Uh, it could be, it could be greatly increased. And I think that's kind of the vision and the goal, but it also creates problems um, because you get, you get your business stakeholders who are like, oh, well, this is going to slow the project down, which that's valid. It's, it certainly can and will. Um, to give you an example, like when I, when I was talking about the two-team approach, I was like, well, you could kind of like back on the old high school playground, you can just kind of like one, two, one, two, one, two, number everybody off, right? Team by team. So ideally then you have two teams that are pretty cross-functional. You know, they have a member of every product on each team. So somebody who can help spread that knowledge and transfer that knowledge amongst the team 
Um, or there's the approach like you mentioned where you could just have one team that's kind of focused on that specifically. Yeah, to add to that, I think um, you mentioned that it might slow down the project. I think, you know, if you're looking short term, yeah. But in long term, you know, after they learn it, I think it's certainly going to enhance the amount of time. Absolutely. You know, I would totally agree with that. It, so. Right. So it's a question of investment. Are you willing to make the short term investment for the long term gain? Right. And uh, if so, then uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I like that idea of like the bug team because that's that's something that i thought about the other day when we were talking about this is you know even on the current project that we everest project once that's across the finish line it's never really over there's going to be subsequent work maybe new features but then also maintenance and and bug fixes and that sort of thing and so you kind of get stuck i know that our like our denver guys ran into that after they came in Big team, had all the right players, um, got to do a big greenfield development, and they did, and they kicked ass and got it done early and ahead of schedule and under budget, right? But then it was like, okay, time for the next project, and they're like, well, we can't all go over there because we're still doing maintenance and new features. So I think that model that you're talking about seems to make a lot of sense because you're always addressing those things, mm -hmm. just going to fall on a different group. Right, and then that even lends to, you know, all right, stick the new guys on bugs. And then now they're learning the project slowly, but they're learning, you know, because they're working on the bugs, you know. And they're it hopefully take not a little more time, but yes. And and it's 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 a good comfort level too. You're not getting way out over your skis, like, hey, right. we need you to architect this thing, you know, welcome to the team. Right. Do you guys label your bugs from like P one to P five and all that? Ooh, I don't know about In that. In terms of how serious no. they are. I don't know that we have a sev system anywhere. I think that's been talked about, but I don't know if we've actually ever implemented that. Yeah, we yeah. did that at my last company. You know, new guys would get the, you know the P5s to P3s because that's the easy stuff. That, oh, you know, I like that a lot. Kill them. That's a cool know? idea. And they're still learning. Yeah, no, that might be something to consider though, because we are kind of going through this process revolution here mm -hmm. where we didn't have any, and now we're getting a little more mature, and that would be a good thing for us to right. to have. And then you don't have to really necessarily take the seniors off the project they can still work on whatever they need to you know you might have a question the new guys might have a question or two and they can lend their knowledge but you know we had our we had a two two levels of bug type stuff we had the bug and the the hot quick one <laughs> hqo <laughs> the hqo which were never hot or quick nothing nothing like yeah the name was very misleading uh it was some it was a sneaky way to get tickets in the door to break a sprint open right. <laughs> well, sprint would be a yeah. That wasn't really a word. We just had look over here, look over here, yeah. look over here. <laughs> it was a way to crack into the waterfall yeah. of development, right? And it was like, hey, we we know the regular tickets are just this is just a graveyard for ideas. Here's <laughs> some scope creep. So yeah, yeah, we'll throw it into an uh, as an HQO, yeah. and all of a sudden it's got everyone's attention, and my stuff's getting done now. So something you said that was interesting too. You mentioned the Denver office. This whole idea actually was was kind of founded on the idea of the Denver uh, team. So I had been in Denver for a, 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 a quick, um, I don't know, just... You were there about a month ago, I believe. Right. And just kind of was seeing how their process worked and how they did things and that sort of thing. And even before that, you know, they were kind of here, portrayed as kind of the rock star team, right? They got Delty out with no problem. It was super quick, super efficient, super organized, yada, 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 right? So I was kind of looking at them like, what do they do differently than we do? So that's partially where some of this comes from and watching their process, watching their stand-ups, watching them interact and seeing how like much collaboration and communication they have was really inspiring. Um, and to that end, like the Everest team, my team, uh, this the last couple of weeks, it's been really, really awesome to see them do the same type of thing. Like the team got bigger. There's tons of communication happening between, you know, everybody, new guys, old guys, cross between the two at the stand-up on teams yeah. on the yeah online and there's a positive energy i think it's it's been really energizing like you said earlier on in the in the beginning of the show uh provides a lot of energy which is really cool well it's the right size it is sized appropriately because even though there's a couple guys i know they're more senior on the team and on the project in terms of just longevity that are getting squeezed i think that uh there's a lot of momentum still and i think if the team size is too small and you're trying to do this, then you're squeezing the guy and nothing, there's no momentum. 
Uh, and then maybe on the flip side, like you were saying, if it's too big, then there's also no momentum at first, you know, just because there's too much knowledge transfer occurring. But this seems to be the sweet spot where uh, we're taking a little bit of time from the guys to get education, but then running away with some things and getting stuff done. Moving I would, along. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't, it, it's hard to gauge exactly like what, what, obviously the manpower helped. Like, I'm not going to try and discount that at all, but we also kind of cracked over a major piece of the, the project at the time that those people came on. So I think both of those helped immensely to, to propel the, the, the velocity forward, which has been really, really great. But before that, definitely felt like we were just kind of like barely slogging through and just not making any progress, at least not quickly. Um, and now it's, it's, it's a much faster direction. The other thing I would say, too, is that what's made this successful is the uh, amount of legwork that went into teeing up this project. I mean, you guys spent more time than any project I'm aware of here in this office anyway uh, in Seattle, uh, getting it ready. And so whether it was that, that process you guys had with, I think you had the external UX guys that were working on the prototypes earlier, the wireframes, but you had a lot of this stuff already in JIRA, already in ticket form, ready to go. So the tickets are, are there. They're not, I wouldn't say they're completely flushed out, but in terms of this company, it, there's a lot more planning that went into this project uh, that I, than I've seen of any other project. And that's a testament to Ali Gress, not, not to myself. I right. had nothing to do with any of that. Oh, um, right. So kudos to her and kudos to all the time she spent uh, creating tickets with the stakeholders and that sort of thing. So, but yes, it's, it's, a, it's a new leaf for this company to be organized, which I, I don't even know that I would consider us that organized at this point, but it's, it's much better than it was. Well, I think it's easy to make the argument why you need to have more PMs, which we've, I think to their credit, they've done a good job of bringing people on. I appreciate that because I think there was a time when it was hard to convince that that was a, a value add. And if we didn't have her work and her time on it, we would be out of tickets and there'd be nine guys looking for work to do. Absolutely. Or creating work to do, which wouldn't be helpful. So <laughs> investing in that extra time, you know, helps flush things out and that prevents scope creep, which makes sure that things stay on. Yeah. Target, you know? Right. And I don't, I don't know how many times people will come to me looking for work and I'll be like, well, maybe Ali has something for you. Like if I didn't have her on the project, I, it, I would be buried. So uh, yeah, I think PM, the PM team has, has proven their worth many, many times over in the short amount yep. of time that we've kind of put them back in place here at Quote Wizard. So. No, she's a rock star, man. I, I uh, can see it with you guys, and I've always envied the team from afar because I was doing other things, and I just thought, man, the way they're setting this up is it's going to be successful, and what a fun team to work on, too. So the next item on the list here is I had, and I think we alluded to this already once before, is preventing burnout, hmm. uh, which is a big one because we have people that remain on projects for years, Many, many years, oftentimes. I'm all too familiar um, with that. Oh, tell me. Tell um, me more. You know, just being stuck on projects for you know, nine months, a year by yourself, you, know, you get burnt out, when you, especially when you're working, you know, 60 hours a week, just trying to get it done. It's a blessing and a curse, right? Because you want to prove yourself and it's like, hey, I'm here, like, give me stuff. And so it's like, okay. Right. And then you prove that you can do it. Right. And you're like, cool, man, stick with that. Right. <laughs> And then they just want to keep throwing more and more at you. Like, oh, you did that? Cool. Here, let's add this to it. You know? it just yeah. Never ends. And there's no exit strategy. It's right. just, oh, our plan is to keep him busy as mm -hmm. long as he'll say yes. Right. <laughs> and it's a little unfortunate, too, because it, as the more you hop projects and the more you kind of work with other people, the more you learn. Like, uh, if you're stuck on the same project all the time, you're probably not, unless you're a very good, like, self-starter, self-learner, and are able to implement those things into a already existing project, you're probably not getting to flex that creative muscle. Right. I think that's like the biggest thing of why people probably get burnt out is you know, it's mundane. It's redundant. You're not doing anything new. And it's not helping your career for sure. You know. Well, and especially, I think we talk about this a lot on the show, but with, with how often things change now, it is a risk because if you're doing something in the back end for very long, then by the time you get back up to the front end again, you've missed out on a couple cycles of change, right? This framework's out. This one's in the versions have changed. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm working on a little side project that, that has some code in it. That's from that. I had written back in the day. It was an app that I had written back in the 2013 and I'm trying to work with it now. And there's a couple of problems. Like one that's like a .NET 
MVC app that's no longer supported because <laughs> <laughs> now everything's going to .NET Core and mm. you know so like that's one problem is that it's hard to get support on this stuff it's kind of end of life um, and the other thing is like even just simple things like the CSS framework I was using an earlier version of Bootstrap like Bootstrap three which now what like four is out and five is on the way. Mm -hmm. And so like even just within that, because it's a few versions out of date, trying to update that to the newest version breaks a lot of uh, code because, Oh, we don't call it the same thing anymore. There were breaking changes that happened. And so, yeah, there's just a, it's a constant evolution. And if you take too much time off is my point, then you're just going to be so far, it's going to be so hard to catch back up. Right. I mean, and then again, that circles back to, you know, why the big teams are good. Cause then, you know, People are constantly learning, you know, you might come off, you might not. Now you need some knowledge transfer. Yep. They can provide that. You're right back in it. Absolutely. And so I think, yeah, we have people here that I already know. I can tell you for sure are burned out, right? There's people that a number of people, even on my own team that have expressed interest in moving to other teams are tired of working on the product. So, I mean, I know this is a problem here. It's, it's been told to me by a number of, a number of people. Uh, So I think it's something we need to address. And I think this could help. This is, I mean, this topic on burnout is probably the biggest reason for cycling teams like this. It, well, and the other thing is you're, you're completing projects at a much faster rate. So you will also be moving on to other projects, right? In addition to, you know, maybe you work on multiple projects during a sprint, but also you're, you're you know, in the case of Everest, right? We're going to pump that out. And let's say the, the team continued, right? Then you would go to another project, probably some large scale project. So mm-hmm. you're getting a new project every six months or, or, or sooner. Right. That's exciting. It's something to look forward to. I know for me, if I can have some kind of short term window, six months, some, uh, even, even nine months or something to say, okay, you know what? Like maybe it's a little tough. Maybe I'm kind of tired of this piece, but I know that in a few more months it'll be over. I can move on to something else. That's cool. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you alluded to earlier too is like the speed, there'd be that initial slowdown. Mm-hmm. And that is true. But the other thing that to mention here is that as a team like becomes cohesive and people work together more and more and more and we figure out how to build products together, that team is going to just accelerate and the velocity is going to go like super, super quick, even comparatively to what they do today. So like, yes, there's going to be a temporary loss at the beginning, but your speed at the end is going to be probably a, a scale factor bigger. Yep. Not them, but then you, the team gets stronger. Everyone trusts everyone more. Everyone knows that everyone can do their job. You know, it's, it's like a tenfold thing. It's not just, you know, I'm learning something new. It's immensely going to help the company. Absolutely. You said the team gets drunker. <laughs> team gets stronger. Oh, I hope I didn't say that because <laughs> I need to uh, go get another one. Yeah, man. There you Whoa, go. Oh, here's another <laughs> cider for you there. A virtual cider for you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's another component that we haven't discussed that I don't see on the notes, but I think it could be could come into play here too, and that's just some of the uh, interaction cross-team. Uh, not only does it help foster better relationships on the tech floor, but then developers aren't always interfacing with the business, but sometimes you do, and, and if you're on a project, there's a chance at some point you're going to have a meeting or some other thing like that, right? And this would be a great way to get to meet people that are not on the tech floor because I think we're not great all the time as developers um, to go initiate those types of contact. And um, if we're just stuck on one aspect of the, of the, the company, then there's some people that we never would have to come into contact with. This would be a great way to kind of build those relationships. Yeah, that definitely helped at my last company, you know, rotating the teams every time we were, you know, Okay, now we're on new QA people, new PM. So it just helped build those relationships and ensure that, you know, across the board, everyone trusted us. You know, a PM was never worried, like, oh, I don't know if this developer is going to be able to get this done in the time. <laughs> well, I think that's a good, good point because we've had a lot of that in the past, too, where it's an us versus them kind of a thing. We're always mm-hmm. fighting that, trying to break the barriers down to say, look, you know, we're all after the same goal. Right. Um, and if it does help, if you have a relationship, then it's like, okay, they're not just out to screw me or they're just trying to do the, pursue their own interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, man, we're not, we're coming up with a lot of negatives here, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll go, we'll move on to the last one here. Uh, yeah. and, and the last one is just that it's a moment of opportunity. So we have two very large scale projects that are kind of running together. Uh, and in theory will come, come to a head kind of at the same time, uh, you know, in a couple months will be completed uh, and launched. So 
the in theory, uh, this isn't going to happen, but in theory, all these resources are now free to go to other projects, right? So this would be, a, in theory, a, a pretty good opportunity or a pretty good time to test the waters for this kind of idea. Yeah. So um, suddenly you have all these resources available. You could try splitting them into those teams and start start that process. So it's just a good, it feels like a very natural point in time to do it if you were going to do it. What kind of reception have you gotten thus far? Can you talk about that a little bit? So I would say it's been mixed. Um, I think there's been, you know, some people that think it's a, it's a really uh, pretty good idea in terms of, uh, like I said, the numbers, uh, learning from other people, the things that we've talked about here. Um, the negatives are, are mostly how to portray to the business side because in their eyes, they're losing a resource potentially. Have them, have them listen to this episode. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and that's partially why I built this this list. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's a valid concern, right? Traditionally, like resources have kind of been bound to a business owner. Yes. In this company, so in their eyes, like okay, now I'm losing my five developers or whatever, right? Like they're being allocated to somebody else. So that is hard to deal with. We just have to to portray it in a way that that makes sense. The other thing is we have to, and I think Tom Nash has been working on this really hard, we have to come to much more of a fine point, uh, which we talked about earlier also, about what projects that we're going to ingest and pass to the tech team. And they need to be vetted uh, and prioritized against each other and then well fleshed out with tickets and so on and so forth. And then those are the things that come to the, the team and the business owners prioritize them against each other. Like it's not, not a resource game anymore. Like you can have more resources if your thing gets vetted above somebody else. Right. Well, here's been the problem with that in the past. Cause I would argue that we haven't really been tied to business units in a proper fashion. Um, I'm not challenging you, but I'm just saying that like this idea that somehow like dev resources belong to a particular group, a functional group in the business hasn't really been fully baked I feel like there's two ways you do that. Like one way you do that is you say, look, you know what business unit, if you're responsible for widgets uh, and you know, and, and there's another part of the business that's doing some kind of service thing. Okay, fine. Like the widgets group, they get to hire their own resources and it's going to go against their cost center. And it's going to, if they're making money, then they can get budget for that. And if they're not, then they might have to lose something. Um, but we don't do that. We say, Oh tech, you know, you're just overhead and you're, kind of this internal resource. You're kind of this internal drain. OpEx cost. You're an OpEx expense. Yeah, exactly. And so then you have people saying, well, that's my guy. This is my guy. But, you know, it gets diluted because you're not 100% one person's guy. And um, you're kind of seen as a cost instead of part of the part of that team. So my feeling is if you're going to go that route, then you go all in on it. And you say, look, we're going to have each team have their own uh, resources and be responsible for that, uh, showing that it's working out. Uh, that it's profitable, right? And I'm not, I, I don't think that's where we want to go. I think we're better off staying kind of centralized because we're still pretty nimble that way and we can get a lot done. Um, and for what we're trying to accomplish as a company, I think we, we do a lot better that way than we do when we're spread out. Um, and so, yeah, like for that reason, then let's take full advantage of being a, a, a centralized tech resource and have some real firepower and momentum and like get stuff done through the door. And that's how you do it. You have a couple of large teams that focus, have to have some tough conversations upstairs, but if it gets the green light, then you know what? We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done right quickly with a lot of people, a lot of focus. Yeah, I think we're a resource of the company, right? Not, yeah. not, not of a particular team. Yeah. Um, and so it should be on the business to kind of identify what it is that they want to shoot down our uh, direction and how they want us to work on it. Uh, and, and yeah, exactly to your point, like the more, the larger teams that we have that work together, the longer the product's going to be far better. It's going to be far more consistent, better thought out, so on and so forth. So it's just going to be a better product overall. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm excited for the conversation here anyway, see where it goes. And out of curiosity, does dev play much part in helping build out, you know, initial requirements and things like that with the PMs or anything? Hmm. You take that one because you've been on that pr this project for. I feel like that's the best example is your project. Currently, I think probably it is at least from the Seattle standpoint. Um, I can't speak for Denver or how Sacramento works, um, but during the process for for Everest, the tickets were created, and then any any question marks that came through, 
usually were involved. I, I was involved or somebody from the team was involved to help help get better understand how that might work if there was any questions. But most of it was just user stories with the business stakeholder that, that uh, or, or quite a number of business stakeholders. Okay. And my sense uh, in, in Denver in the beginning, at least, was that you had certain players. So maybe not all the developers were kind of huddled around the table, right. but you had a few key people or a lead along exactly. with some of the other guys kind of facilitating that. Okay. Yeah, that's how we did it at my last company. The leads would, maybe some senior people would sit in and flesh out all the requirements, mainly to make sure there's not going to be any scope creep, you know. Mm-hmm. They can add their two cents. P- the PM might not fully understand the nitty-gritty stuff that's going to go into it, and so they can lend their, their knowledge and say, hey, that's actually going to take 10 times longer than you think it might. Yep, yep, exactly, yeah. Just to kind of vet it a little bit. Right. Say, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. That it, It's kind of a smoke test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was another one of the things that came up, too, that's kind of been a, a how do we handle this, is we don't really have tech leads. I mean, you maybe could consider me a lead. I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm titled a manager. Um, yeah. You could consider Rain a lead, but he's titled an architect, I believe, or a senior. I don't. I don't remember what his I, title I is. I mean, I technically am. Do you have a lead title? No. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like, who are they? Who's who are these people, and and do we have people that want to step up into those roles? If that's if that becomes a thing, so. It was just more of a question of like personnel. Do we have the right personalities that are here to do that? If if not, do we have to hire them? Yep. You know how do you how do you accommodate that? The way it's worked in the past is that your senior guys that have some experience in the area would kind of just rise to the occasion and do it. I think mm-hmm. it's been informal though. It hasn't been a title or a job description. And with what you guys say you have going on here, it doesn't really make sense to have leads unless you switch to the new model and split it up into three big teams where you know you do need some kind of authority figure to, to yeah. facilitate what's going on in each team. Right. And that was the hypothetical question is, okay, we go down this road. Who are the leads? Do we have people that want to do it? Like, yes, you could take the, the traditionally senior people, but is that something they want to do? Right. Is that the, right. the, the career path they want to go? Or are you just going to force that upon them, which isn't fair either? No, so, don't do that. Yeah. And then we have multiple types of career paths from now, right? We have like the management career path and we have the tech career path. So you know, which way do you want to go there? Like there's just a, a bunch of different questions that, that popped up as a result of that as mm-hmm. well. Right. Well, I would say to that, I mean, it's not a simple solution, but really like the management tracks pretty clearly defined where you can go with that. The tech path is pretty clearly defined because you're going to be an architect of some sort, right? Of some level or a staff engineer, I think is another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lead one is kind of a hybrid a little bit because I think you're doing a little bit of both, right? Yeah. And even a little bit of like almost PM. Yeah, work in there as well. So maybe I think not a that's, full PM, but I think there that role makes sense if you're going to have these strong team structures set up, uh, more formally defined structures. That makes sense. Maybe having more of a hybrid role, like hey, you know, get in here and tackle this. Really, like I think you're just kind of the, at that point, you're kind of the grease on the wheel a little bit, just making sure things keep moving. I mean, I think that'll maybe make management a little more comfortable you go to them and say hey how much if we do do this and we do get leads how what's the percent that you want them coding what's the percent you want them managing and that might make them feel a little more comfortable in terms of knowing what they're getting up front that we're not creating another layer of uh, hierarchy it's really just like no this is really to keep things moving Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're the orchestrator Mm -hmm. a little bit yeah oh i like that title actually the orchestrator yeah tech orchestrator (laughs) is that kind of like the professor the professor. Well, the professor does a lot of professing. All right. Like the orchestrator does a little bit of professing, but has to go back and do other things too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's all I got to say about that. How are we doing on time there? We, uh, what about 50 minutes? Oh, good. Cause I know we got started on this really early. We didn't even get to play our little bumper cause I was just running my, Oh, running my mouth. So sorry about that. Well, let me get you another beer so you can calm down. Another, uh, Oh, another rock star. Pure zero is all I'm <laughs> drinking today, buddy. <laughs> What else do we want to talk about? Anybody got any topics they want to bring up? Um, Gomer's got something for us. I can see him. Oh, boy. I can see him scribbling something on Slack over here. Uh, I don't know what to talk about. Usually we have so much to talk about. Oh, boy. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> How about a coffee from a machine that spins? Oh, yeah. yeah. What's the spin update? Yeah, it's a sad update, actually. There was well, hold update. on. Before we go down this route, we should probably inform our new uh, cast member here, what yeah. the deal with spin is. I'll tell you, dude. So Mike, I like t- in 2016 in December. 
So, God, that was a long time ago. Well, I believe that was like one of the first episodes we ever did. We talked about spin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because that, and we would have, our first one that we did would have been, maybe I got, yeah, it was around the same time that I got it. But there was a Kickstarter in 2016, late 2016, for this um, awesome Alexa-enabled coffee machine. Okay. And um, I bid on it, and I pre-ordered one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. It's like it's like the best end-all, be-all coffee maker all in one. So you dump a bag of beans on top, and when the beans run low, it orders you new ones. Okay. And you can have... The coffee maker, whoever makes the beans, can put their own recipes in there to make it a certain way, a certain temperature. It's got a little centrifuge, and so it sucks all the water out. Okay. And uh, no waste. Like, you get a little tray of, like, dried coffee beans in the back that once a week you just go throw in your garden or whatever. Right. Yeah. The promise was great. And uh, and so I, I, good. I jumped in on it. It's Alexa-enabled. I figured, you know, I could be in bed telling the thing to make me coffee. Right. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. So fast forward. It's now, what is this, April 2019? They haven't delivered it yet. They're still working on it. <laughs> it's still in progress. Yeah, they did have an update last week. And the problem is now is that they've gotten away from providing timelines. Like about a year and a half ago, they stopped doing that. That doesn't sound too promising. Um, and so what they're trying to do instead is just like be very informative now about what's being done. And so like with each successive month that it's not delivered, like there's a bigger email update that goes out to the backers. And it's just like, here's Jim, like, tweaking the sound on the, you know, centrifuge because they would like to knock it down 3 dBs, you know. (laughs) And they have, like, you know, 10 or 12 of these type updates that are very in the Mm minutiae. And they don't really tell you, like, where it's at, just when it's going to be done. Just like, yeah, he's working on this. Like, we're going to give you this. For us, it's quality first above all. And so we're going to get this thing down by three more dBs. And we're working on that this month. (laughs) So... That, it was one of those type updates and people now are just like, look, you know, like we've been sticking with you guys long enough. Like we just want some idea, estimated timeline, uh, December 2019 or December 2021. Like when, what year could it be done? And possibly? <laughs> that's, that's what we're down to is what, what year? year? Yeah. What century? You know, like how, how, uh, will my kids still be in the house? Like there was some story, <laughs> some anecdote this guy said on the forum. He's like, look, I got this thing. I ordered it for my daughter you know, to go to college or something like that. And I don't know, like it's been what three, she's like, she's going to be a senior this year and she still is graduated for you. Yeah. Like she already graduated and she stopped drinking coffee and she's a (laughs) vegan now and doesn't do that. I don't know. It's just been funny to see like the comments. So yeah, that's kind of the update on that. There's it's, you know, it's in progress. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things uh, with no, no end in sight. The update is there's no update. Yeah. There's not, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing about spin is that is the number one keyword that the coffee code cast comes up for in Google search. I find that fascinating. You've mentioned this before. So because we talk about it, it's because we talk <laughs> about it so many times updates. that in the show notes or on the website, then like, because that's in there, it, it shows up in the search results. We yeah. <laughs> we're, we're your spin information source. Free publicity. Well, well yeah. that's one way to let they can hear about us this way. And right. Who Maybe knows? We'll sponsor you down the line. Yeah, if there's ever a machine, right? right. <laughs> Something to sponsor. <laughs> Here, I would love them to sponsor one of the noisy prototypes that they don't want. You know, like the noisy one that they're they're going to knock down by some decibels. Send it over here. Like we right. don't give a shit. Like there's no, we don't have any babies in cribs or anything like that. Like we'll just fire it up in the studio. We could make coffee during the show. We could even just put one of these mics right up to it. Yeah, that would be cool. We could just have that ready to go, and then great advertising. There's no way for you to communicate to them. Oh, I'm sure we could. Why is this taking so long? No, there is. I mean, the forums for sure, but they're just not. They'll answer questions about what they're working on, but they're they're very uh, reluctant at this point to give a date because they've those dates have come and gone so many times. (laughs) Uh, So so. they speak like a true tech company. Yeah, you don't give out dates. You don't give out dates. So they just learn that after the fact. But that's where they're at right now. I did see two today, and I don't know the details of it. I didn't read the article, but it did say that uh, Kickstarter and what is it, Indiegogo or whatever the other one is, uh, are going to have to change something in their policy or how they how they do business because so many of these projects have failed, hmm. um, and they're getting people are kind of coming down on them about that. I didn't. I'll have to find the details and, and share that out. But 
Because some cases are legitimate. Some cases are, are becoming fraudulent, though, where it's like, okay, we get the money regardless, and then nothing ever happens. Well, and then you have uh, instances like my good friend Aaron, who ordered, the, what was it, the coolest cooler with the, the blender on top. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that, Mike? Remember that no, cooler? It I've was never like a done Kickstarter, actually. Oh. This was like huge in the news, man. It was like an orange cooler. I actually think I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's got like a battery pack in it, speakers, like all kinds of stuff. Yes. Built in. Probably, I think it had an iPhone dock at one point in time somewhere. And this thing, there. I think, on Kickstarter was what? I feel like was I it? saw a commercial for this on TV. Yes. Probably. Well, there's a number of them now. Oh, okay. But I think this thing was like three or $400, maybe five. It was an expensive cooler. It was cooler. an expensive cooler, yeah. It yeah. was like the Yeti of coolers before Yeti was making coolers. <laughs> <laughs> and she ordered one of these. She was in, she was one of the early adopters on the Kickstarter program. So she waited and she waited and she waited, much like the, the spin coffee maker. And then come to find out, like they're just like, well, we're not going to deliver to our original backers. What we're going to do is we're going to sell this thing on Amazon. So if you want one, you can buy one on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to deliver to the backers. And so That's... that was pretty messed up. She still doesn't have one to this day. She never got her money back. Nope. Wow. Do you get your money back on Kickstarter? I've heard that's a thing. You. Yeah. That, I don't think so. I think I don't. Uh, I've heard pretty mixed reviews on that. I don't know which one does what. Because there's some, right? There's somewhere like that. You only get the funds if the goal is reached. So if you right. never hit it, then you don't get it. But once you hit the goal, I don't know that there's any obligation to give you the product. It's kind of just one of those things that people should know that and, and assume. I think a lot of regular backers just say, well, we're trying to support the company and hopefully it works out. Right. And I think it matters a lot. Like you mentioned, I think earlier based on fraud. So like I, I supported an Indiegogo uh, once upon a time. So I, I wear a hearing aid in this year. I, I am partially deaf due to like a birth abnormality. And so they had a hearing aid that was supposed to be this fancy new thing. And like it was wireless charging. So you could just set it on a little mat, boom, charge and like no time flat mm-hmm. sounded really great should have known it was too good to be true type of thing but i was like whatever i'll plunk down 300 dollars if it's not true whatever right and it ended up being a fraudulent thing um luckily i used an amex card uh and amex will let you reverse a charge like a really long time later like i want to say it was like 12 months wow that's impressive so basically once i knew it was fraud they wouldn't give me my money back but because because it was fully funded um, and so I just went on to my Amex and I was able to reverse the, or dispute the charge and get the money back from it. Well, it's a good thing to have the Amex for that. Right. Instead of putting on the old, uh, debit card, right. <laughs> debit card, <laughs> <laughs> putting it on your, uh, visa gift card. You're not getting that money back. Yeah. Oh, we at the end of the hour already. We're already done. Oh man. Do you have something else you want to talk about? I think we're cool, man. I just really appreciate mike jumping in last minute on the cast here thanks man really appreciate you guys having me out hopefully i can come back out soon we'll do it again we'll get you back out here yeah Yeah, we'd love to have you on again you can uh the coffee Codecast is recorded live from seattle washington every wednesday 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific join us live at www.coffeecodecast.com slash live the podcast artwork is provided by yurne the gentle giant check out more of his illustrations at coffeecodecast.com slash gentle giant uh, the podcast is available from iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and now Radio, Radio Public. Public. Yeah, that's what a is new that? one. It's a new podcast player. You can get that app from all of them, from all the different platforms, or you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find all this and more on the website at www.coffeecodecast.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining. Thank you. We'll see you here next week. Same time, same place. Bye. <laughs>